0: After months of hoping and waiting, Illinois this week finally heard the words it's been waiting to hear.
1: If these trends continue, and we expect them to, then on Monday, February 28th, we will lift the indoor mask requirement for the state of Illinois. The masks
0: are about to come down, mostly. We'll talk about that and other news of the week on this edition of CapitalCast. Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular production of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. On September 3rd of last year, Governor J.B. Pritzker reissued a statewide indoor mask mandate. That was in response to the Delta variant surge of COVID 19 cases. Just a few weeks later, another variant called Omicron hit the state and cases spiked through the roof. Now the Omicron variant is fading away almost as fast as it came. Cases and hospitalizations are on the decline. And Pritzker says if the trends continue, the masks can come down in just a couple of weeks, in most places. But there's one big exception that still has some Illinoisans frustrated.
1: The equation for schools just looks different right now than it does for the general population. Schools need a little more time for community infection rates to drop, for our youngest learners to become vaccine-eligible, and for more parents to get their kids vaccinated.
0: Joining Pritzker for the announcement was Dr. Ngozi Azike, director of the Illinois Department of Public Health. And at times, it sounded like she was striking a slightly different tone than Pritzker. But we also heard her say something we hadn't heard before.
2: Your actions that you've already taken have helped to reduce the amount of virus circulating and it absolutely has saved lives. But be clear that COVID is not gone and it won't be gone on February 28th. So we're going to continue to find ways to live with the virus.
0: Joining me here to talk about that is our State House Bureau Chief, Jerry Nowicki, so jerry we've been through epidemics and even pandemics before polio swine flu ebola even aids eventually they all kind of go away or at least fade into the background and i think at the beginning we all expected that to happen with covid now there seems to be a sense of resignation that this is not going away at least not anytime soon and now we have to learn how to live with it is that what you're hearing out of the administration
1: well H1N1 still around, uh, the swine flu and stuff like that, they, they become less prevalent because we gain the natural immunities to them. And that's kind of was the general gist of where we were at with the announcement this week. Um, another thing to note is the the masks will still be required in medical settings and congregate living for settings, daycare, school buses, public transportation and all that.
0: Airplanes, Amtrak. Yeah, yeah. all of that.
1: So the the general idea there um and the governor said you know we're at a different place with schools is because we still don't know what mutations this virus will take whether the uh just sheer number of people who got uh infected in the most recent omicron wave i think uh, dr emily landon from the university of chicago alluded to it she said There's a bump in immunity surging now, not only because of the vaccine, but because a lot of people got the Omicron variant. So we're seeing the hospitalizations go down, and that's why we're at where we're at, able to lift this mask mandate in the the public settings.
0: Okay, and on the subject of schools, of course, late last week, uh, Friday afternoon of last week, a judge here in Springfield issued a temporary restraining order about mask mandates and vaccine mandates in public schools. It only applied to the 170 or so districts that were named in the lawsuit. Uh, and we're now waiting to hear from the 4th District Court of Appeals about whether they will overturn that or put a stay on the order. Um, what's, what's been the reaction to the fact that they're still having, uh, we are still have mask mandates in schools, at least in the ones not named in that lawsuit?
1: There's a lot of parents who are just kind of done with it. Um, I don't know how the polling breaks down in terms of 50-50, whatever the split is. I know there are some people who still would prefer that mask mandates remain in place because they want to protect their children and they don't want their child to feel self-conscious because they're the only one wearing a mask inside of a a classroom. But there are lots of parents, you see protests, in specific districts that they're upset. You see kids walking out here or there. You see districts that have closed um, because they weren't sure what to do uh, in light of the uh, judge's order. And as you know, we're still, uh, uh, as you've reported, Peter, we're still sort of waiting on that uh, appeals court's ruling just to get a clear picture of where we're even at as to whether the governor can continue to do this type of thing. But in his announcement, he made it clear that it's at least in the next month that he was going to try to continue to keep masks up in schools. He said weeks, not months that he'd like to lift it, but we're looking at into March for sure.
0: Okay. And one thing that stood out in the judge's decision last week, that uh, was judge Raylene Grishow from here in Springfield uh, was the idea that, you know, if lawmakers wanted to give, uh, the state board of education authority to issue mask mandates, you know, they've had plenty of time to do that really. So far though, the legislature has not gotten that involved in, uh, COVID-19 responses. They pretty much left it to the governor. Do you think the pressure is on them now to maybe take a little more active role?
1: I don't think they'd have any appetite to do such a thing in in the uh, with the upcoming June primary. There's a reason they're trying to get out of town on April eighth, and that's because they don't want to push their session action into May. So, uh, you know, it's just it's just one of the things where this this we're going to see the separation of powers, and we're going to see whether the uh, courts allow the governor to continue to uh, sort of manage this the way he has.
0: Meanwhile, there has been other news out of the State House. Uh, Attorney General Kwame Raoul has gotten involved in a high profile criminal case. Beth Hunsdorfer, you've been covering that. What can you tell us about what the Attorney General is doing? Uh,
2: the Attorney General is asking, uh, he's filed a motion for a writ of mandamus, which is asking the Supreme Court to um, intervene and force an Adams County judge to impose the um, sanction or or impose the minimum sentence on a criminal sexual assault case. The uh, judge had presided over a three-day trial and initially found the defendant, an 18-year-old guilty of criminal sexual assault and then when, a few months later, when the defendant came, returned before him to be sentenced, he, in essence, reversed his, his guilty conviction and um, released the young man back to release him from custody. So the AG is asking the Supreme Court to uh, intervene and basically issue an order to have the defendant jailed for four to 15 years as it's written um, in the Illinois statutes.
0: Okay, and to clarify, uh, writ of mandamus, they're actually fairly rare uh, judge that I used to cover once called them the, the ancient writs. It's basically an order to a government official to do something they are required to do by law or not to do something they are prohibited from doing by law. Right. Uh, it's a way of it, uh, forcing the hand of government officials. Uh,
2: right, and we we saw these in Illinois when um, there was a Supreme Court ruling against in, um, indeterminate sentences where people were held um, for life without possibility of parole they would send those back to be resentenced and and the judges there were writs of mandamus asked for in every one of those cases so they could be resentenced
0: okay um and also uh, late friday uh, uh kwame Raoul issued a press release um in another case announcing that a murder defendant had been sentenced to a hundred years in prison uh not something that we are accustomed to hearing from uh, Attorney General Raul. Uh, usually we hear that he's filing amicus briefs in U.S. Supreme Court cases, or he's joining a group of other states in some sort of multi-state litigation. Uh, but we haven't really seen him get that involved in criminal cases before. Uh, and that brings us to Grace Kennicott who has been covering reaction to what's called the Safety Act. Uh, It was a big criminal justice reform initiative that Democrats and particularly the Legislative Black Caucus pushed through the General Assembly in January of 2021. Uh, Grace, what's going on with the Safety Act and how are Republicans, uh, how are they playing this in terms of uh, election posturing?
3: So Republicans have been attributing um, the, uh, the recent rise in uh, violent crime to the Safety Act, while most, most provisions of the Safety Act have yet to take effect until January 1st, 2023. But Republicans, House Republicans have um, announced uh, repeal efforts to repealing the Safety Act. And then Senate Republicans recently reintroduced a package of bills with uh, tough on crime measures, um, a fund the police act grant, along with wanting to repeal the end of cash bail that would go in which the end of cash bail doesn't go into effect until January 1st, 2023.
0: Okay. Uh, One thing that has gone into effect, though, I think is a change in what's called the felony murder law. Uh, Can you talk about that and why that's been controversial?
3: Yeah. So in a recent case up in Chicago, a Cook County grand jury, they declined to indict Travis Andrews for the murder of Melinda Crump, who was shot in the abdomen during a shootout initiated by Andrews. While Andrews initiated the shootout, he and fired multiple shots at someone else. The intended target who has not been identified struck Crump in the abdomen and she ended up dying from she ended up dying, but in state law, in certain certain circumstances, it allows a person who didn't directly take the action that led to the death to be charged with first degree murder. But since the felony murder rule law changed in the past in the criminal justice reform law, it tried to lessen prosecutors' ability to file the um, charges of a person's actions if they didn't directly cause the death.
0: Okay. And I want to bring this back to Jerry. Um it seems like, uh, crime and law enforcement and law and order generally, uh, are becoming big campaign issues. We've even seen some kind of reposturing on the part of moderate Democrats in the Senate. Uh, can you talk about what, what's going on there?
1: Yeah. So the interesting thing about the safety act is sort of this philosophical divide we're getting in right now that, uh, especially led by the black caucus, they said over incarceration, um, has really uh, been a problem. And one of the felony murder things that they were trying to focus on was that, say, two people rob a liquor store um, and the clerk shoots one of them uh, and kills him, they could charge the uh, guy who was robbing the store with him for his murder because they were in that action. So they tried to lessen stuff like that. But the thing that stood out in the Chicago case was the state's attorney said, you know, the grand jury decided not to make this indictment because of the change to the law. So um, to to note Andrews, uh, he um, has could still serve well over 10 years in prison for the weapons charge he was charged with. So it's not like he's walking free because of this change to the law. It's just not a first degree murder charge, but um, the, uh, we have seen a lot of news conferences on this, including the governor, This week, trying to be proactive about what he's doing to address expressway shootings. Of course, when he was at that news conference in Chicago, someone got shot on the expressway. They weren't killed, but uh, I don't think they caught the person who did the shooting. And then the um, attorney general had filed a package of retail, uh, trying to address the rise in retail, um, organized retail theft. But um, one of the interesting things you had brought up, Peter, is a group of sort of maybe moderate Democrats, some downstate Democrats. They are announcing this package of safety initiative that has some grant programs similar to the fund the police grant that uh, Grace had mentioned that the Republicans are backing. Um, And uh, just that package is forthcoming. It's expected to be finalized in the coming days, according to the... uh, the news release, but um, these are senators like uh, Scott Bennett, Champagne, John Connor in the suburbs, Rochelle Crowe, uh, Tom Cullerton in the suburbs, Bill Cunningham, Susie Glowiak-Hilton, uh, Mike Hastings, Steve Landick, Julie Morrison, Tony Munoz, who's a former officer, and Doris Turner downstate. I think there was 14 of them, 15 of them, named in the news release. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes.
0: Well, do you get the sense then that there must be some polling information out there uh, that is maybe not favorable to Democrats? Uh, Do you get the sense that maybe they're going to be vulnerable on this in in the upcoming election?
1: I think that's the writing on the wall with how the Republicans seemingly don't really go a day without mentioning it. And the Democrats are now announcing these types of initiatives and some pro-law enforcement bills. So it's going to be it's going to be in a lot of campaign ads uh, in this election cycle.
0: Okay, well, we're going to leave it at that for this edition of Capital Cast. Next week, both the House and the Senate will be in session, so there should be a full week of news ahead of us. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a State House reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with funding from the Robert McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying stay safe and thank you for listening.